You're listening to Soccer Talk in the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here we go. This is yet another edition of Soccer Talk in the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association. I'm in the studio with uh, Dan O'Drummond, Charles O'Toole, Dee Govinder, and John Club, special guest. He's the manager of Grassroots and Development for the Alberta Soccer Association. How are you doing? Did you have that written down? I did, I did have it written down. <laughs> Why? Well. Because my memory well is crap. Okay? <laughs> uh, although he's told it to me, I, I don't think I'd remember it. And Kira McCormick, way in the background. How are you doing, Kira? <laughs> a little scary. Yeah, a little scared. A little scary. <laughs> special guest. She didn't know she was going to be on. Um, so, yeah, we've we, we just been sitting around here having a little chat about... Well, about grassroots. Uh, why? Well, because we have the manager of grassroots sitting right here. Um, and there's a lot of topics that come up when we talk grassroots and um, where football goes with the younger player, how it goes with the younger player, and, and the how emphasis. To coach, how to coach the younger player. How to coach the younger player, for sure. And, and what emphasis is put on what? Like when you're dealing with the younger kids, is it... Is it more about the sports? Is it more about engaging them, obviously? And this was all part of the conversation we were just handing or having. Yeah. Um, so thoughts, John? Yeah. For me, um, like I say, we're looking to get out and still grow grassroots soccer. Um, there's a lot of competition from a lot of sports, uh, a lot of emphasis on coach education. I feel the greatest thing that a coach can offer a child is, is the connection. I keep talking about this all the time. Um, I was asked a little while ago in Edmonton by a parent what makes a good coaching session. The question caught me off guard a little bit. Um, my answer was whether the coach is smiling. Whether I'm smiling, if I'm smiling, then the players will be enjoying the session, uh, the kids will be engaged. And for me, um, my advice for parents looking in is, is the coach engaged, enjoying the session himself or herself? If not, then you've got to wonder what children are doing. Yeah, true enough. I, I, I assume it's the same thing with with most of us around this table here. Even you, Kira, without the microphone in front of you. Uh, it, when we coach, it's, uh, yeah, if you're not engaged, the kids aren't going to be engaged. It's, it's, it's a challenge. You know, when we start out, and I can remember when I first started coaching, you're nervous, you've got a group of children, you've got parents looking in, and, and you're a little bit nervy that you're saying the right things. I, I, I met a parent recently, and she said, I'm scared of doing harm. I said, you can't do harm. They're just playing soccer. Just enjoy it. Um, if we get caught, just play the game. Um, for me, when I go and coach, whether it's the provincial girls or whatever team it is, I've got to enjoy myself. And if, if I'm not enjoying it, how can the players ever enjoy it? Yeah. So it, it's, it's got to be fun for you as a coach. Yeah. John, do you, do you find that um, the biggest the thing is just to get those parents to get out there, to get onto that pitch? Yeah, we want to get parents out there. Quite often, I think soccer and most sports have done a disservice to parents. We, you know, I've heard many comments, we shouldn't invite parents, they shouldn't be there. And, and I, I disagree, I think they should be there. We've done a survey with a thousand children across Alberta. We asked them a lot of pertinent questions. Um, what should a coach, what do you want from your coach? Top answer in Alberta um, with the snow outside was uh, buy ice cream. <laughs> um, Good survey then. Good survey. <laughs> survey they're, says ice cream. I, mean, I would have went for they're, Slurpees, they're, but they're, they're seven-year-old children. They spoke from the heart. You know, I love children in that they 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 do speak from the heart. Yeah. We asked them top answer for parents. What do you want from your parents? And eighty percent of the children said, "I want my mum and dad to play with me." Hmm. Yet we don't 
we don't as coaches don't embrace them and and we need to get more parents out playing the game and, and active um, to be those role models for to keep the children engaged and off what I call a life support machine you know the the cell phone that everyone seems stuck on now yeah and, and it, it <laughs> I mean that lends itself to to being in situations where as the parents grow to you know continue to play with the kids enjoy the game hopefully they transition into a coaching role of some sort within that child's club or wherever they're they're playing as well. Yeah, I've been out with Dee this morning with the very young children, and I, like I said to the parents there, they're probably more important than us guys sat around the table because they're the future of coaching, refereeing, management of, of, of where soccer's going, and we need them to understand that it's, it's more than just the game, and it's a lot more than the score. Um, you know, we're trying to develop a lifelong passion for sport and active life, and there was a couple of people asking about swimming and swimming. Yeah, a great balance for soccer. You you you've got a lot of skills that you're going to learn in in the pool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not advocating that children should be playing soccer 24/7. There are other sports, and we we want that multi-sport approach in order to d- develop the athlete. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many that are complementary to the sport. Yeah, like uh, like track and field as well. Like basketball, volleyball, like the agility, the uh, the movement and explosiveness, which is required in soccer as well. Absolutely, I think one of the interesting things coming over from again from England many years ago is that no, y- Are you from England? Yeah, England, <laughs> not not Britain, England, England, yeah. Um, but but <laughs> I guess some exception to that. <laughs> England, yes. Um, but I've worked in some schools doing some multi-sport camps, and what you'll see with a lot of children growing up in Canada is they're a lot of, they've got very good hand-eye coordination. So they play basketball, they'll play hockey, they'll play volleyball, but they very rarely use their feet as well. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've worked with hockey players who are fantastic athletes but can't run. And so soccer is a good sport as well to complement children who are focused on those sports. And we've been involved in some hockey camps where they want to do some dry land fitness for the for the kids so mm-hmm. we don't want yeah we don't want children just doing one sport and hoping that they make it and then if they don't they're out of sport yeah. so john like when when would you say they should start to more specialize then again every sport's different obviously swimming will, and gymnastics is an early entry sport soccer um i can remember being in england picking up a, a really good talented boy at 15 he'd been playing at, at grassroots and he got identified for a high performance stream at 15 so, you know, players can come everywhere. Everyone finds their level at some point, you know. Um, some children will specialize early and drop out. Some children will come in later. And I think if you've got that grounded approach, they're going to make you good athletes. Um, there is skill development that comes in. But like I say, um, you we look at Alfonso Davis. What age was he when he started playing really organized competitive soccer? Probably not till he got here. Yeah, to about 14. He was about 14 when he started. So did it inhibit his progress? I, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I like the idea of the multi-sport, especially at the younger age groups. It helps and, and lends itself to the physical literacy and, and becoming just able to do things functionally uh, as far as movement goes. The, the, the fear, I think, in Canada is, is the sports are competing for membership. But I think if, if different sports and clubs, certainly in a community like this, joined up, you're not losing membership. So children can rotate through the sports and you've all got the same membership and you're developing athletes. Mm. Then they can choose what sport they go into. You know, um, I, I've gone on and excelled in triathlon. Why? Because I'm a good runner. Why? 
because I used to chase a ball. I was never coached to be a runner. I just played soccer and I chased the ball. Mm. So I can run. Um, and everyone will find their level in their sport, and, and they should be afforded that opportunity. Yeah. We, we were talking a little bit earlier, too, when you first walked in here, um, about the, the media end of the game and different ways we can we can utilize the media, such as we're doing here with this podcast. And you had some interesting thoughts about what you want to do moving forward. You want to share some of those? You don't have to. Yeah, but, no. Yeah. For, for grassroots, I think one of the key things that for me as manager of grassroots development is I spend a lot of time trying to support long-term play development. I go around to a community, I'll drop a seed, and that community will change. The board of directors will change. And we need to keep water in it. Um, so one of the things I want to do is, is make make this information more accessible to, to the public yeah. um, so parents and coaches can come and get, get access to it and, and resources. So, so some of the questions I get quite often get asked is how do you deal with bullying? How, and if we've got uh, communication streams like this, we can, we can access that and, and yeah. we can tell parents on how we've dealt with bullying. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't have an issue with bullying because I nip it in the bud, but yeah. who, who teaches me that? And well, so that's, that was the other part that lent into our discussion was uh, no licensing out there, whether you've got a C, A, B, whatever. There's that ethics one portion of it that you, t- you look into, but there's no actual teaching. Yeah. And I, I just think I, what I want to try and do is access as many grassroots coaches. So whether it's Sherwood Park, whether it's uh, Calgary Foothills or whether it's high level up in the rural northern Alberta, grassroots coaches experience the same sort of difficulties. And we all go through the same evolution of, as a growing as a coach. So I, I want to go and access as many grassroots coaches as possible, including Dee and everyone else, and just grasp their experiences instead of the John Club story, what is their experience and how can they lend to helping other coaches grow? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting with John saying about educating the coaches and the parents because we see it now when we're working with coaches and parents at an older age group that we're struggling to understand their side of things, right? Where if we can educate them earlier on enough that they're going to be a huge influencer on their son or daughter's development. And when they get to an age and stage of understanding why we're implementing certain changes in a yeah. program, they're going to be seen more as a friend than m- maybe a foe, right? Um, I mean, yeah, we struggle with it now. And then we feel, well, you know, we need to do an education session with the parents. But really, we need to get out ahead of time, I think, and, and get the education Yeah, spearheaded at the younger age groups. And just much like you're saying here, John. It's, it's a difficult one for me. I, I mean, people have been saying for education, of parents for a long time but how do you get a parents and educational session mm-hmm. um, so you've got to catch them on the field like I did with Dee this morning and talk to the parents when their, play, their children are playing um, what information do we want to give I mean again the, the cookie come up again playing time yeah. um, for me in grassroots there's not an issue because you do the festival format you have no subs everyone's playing um, you know, um, as children get in that more competitive stream, then you're going to look at playing time and, you know, releasing players. But at a grassroots level, there's no subs. Everyone should be playing. But to get and even teams, I you know, we're we're advocating that there isn't teams that every week children come in and they play with the group, and teams are selected each week. They are competitive. Um, people think I'm not competitive um, in grassroots. <laughs> I've seen your competitive side, John. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 <laughs> with them, yeah. yeah. I'm as competitive as, as the next guy. And I think if you've got a grassroots session and you form four teams and do games, they'll be competitive. Next week you do four different teams. They're still competitive. We're just taking away the standings and the scores that don't count beyond that session. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing for sure. We talked a little bit about the grassroots side. How long does grassroots go? Like, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of... I kind of know, but I'm throwing it out there as if I'm dumb. Every, okay. Yeah, I think I think we're all slightly dumb because everyone has a different <laughs> take on it. Uh, FIFA say it's U12. Um, in England, it's anyone outside a professional club is seen as grassroots. So the the um, amateur leagues are grassroots. Yeah. In my community, I've gone and watched um, drop-in ladies sessions, and you've got ladies who have never played soccer. They've had families, and now they want something to do socially, so they're playing soccer. Is that grassroots? Yeah, of course it is. So, for me, grassroots is any, it's just trying to get people out playing the game. And um, tier one teams in Calgary and Edmonton, they're grassroots. They're not being paid to play. Mm-hmm. And it's, so they've got to play. And I, I still think it's the same for a professional player. They've got to play because they enjoy it and they have fun. And the minute that's taken away, you're going to lose the player anyway. Yeah. So, you know, if David Beckham was in Sherwood Park, would he come and play and have a knock around? I'm sure he would. There's uh, many other... Set that up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But would know, be there for sure. Dano would be there with his shirt. Up. Can you please sign this, David? <laughs> but he's a Hotspur fan. <laughs> oh, I see. Hotspur's with Beckham when it's needed, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There you go. But, you know, some people lose that passion along the way. I've worked in clubs in England and... You know, getting players to come out and do community support. The first question is how much, and and they're lost. So um, we want it. Whether it's in in the session this morning with the two three year olds, right up. They they got to enjoy the game. You know, FC yeah. Edmonton are kicking off soon, and yeah, they're playing for there's points at stake. But we want the players to play and enjoy and learn. Yeah, which is fantastic. That's you were about to say. Yeah, something. and I th- I think that's uh, it's it's great to hear um, from your side, John, because I know for sure going out to our 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 grassroots side on in the U four, U five, U six on on the weekends, um, you sitting. Sometimes you hear the parents say, "Oh man, we really need to keep these kids together. They're doing really they're doing really great." But we've got an abundance of kids. In in Church Park, where our our grassroots programs, we've got, you know, in our U four, we've got you've got, um, you know, four teams on a field for 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 one session. We're going from nine o'clock all the way through, so we've got a lot of a lot of uh, kids in our program. So it's not necessarily um, about keeping that one team together. Yeah. It's about trying to get them all engaged together. One of the things that I focus on quite a lot is, and it's a uh, misconception, is that it's a team game, and it is. But I. With my sports psych head, I I see it as an individual game mm-hmm. um, where individuals come together and play as a team. So we've just been blessed with Anderson Williams playing in the Under-17 World Cup in Uruguay. We've got Alfonso. Where are their teammates? They're not going with them on those events. True. So we create an environment for players to develop. And then as coaches, we try and get them to play together. So, you know, I think... Sometimes parents get called it, this is a really good team, we need to keep them together. Well, Anderson never took the girls from Southwest with her to Uruguay. But they, those girls certainly helped Anderson get to Uruguay. So we need to, we need to realize that we're there to, and, and again, one of the things that I've always, I say to coaches now is, um, I don't coach soccer. I've been coaching since I was 20, so like 10 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. If you saw this room, you'd be, uh, maybe there's two young guys in here. Three, three young people in here. So, so I've been coaching a couple of years now, and I, I tell people I don't coach soccer. I coach players to play soccer. And I think it's a play on words, but it's an important one that coaches should, should remember. We, we, if we get caught lost in coaching the game, we lose the player. 
and we've got to coach the player to play the game. Yeah. Very, very good points. Listen, we're going to let John go simply because I know he's got another appointment he's got to uh, attend. And uh, and the lovely Kira came in here not to be part of a podcast. So we're going to let them go. And, uh, John, thank you very much. Love thank to you. have you on again. Absolutely. You know, thank if, you. If you're, thank you, John. If, you're, John. if you're around here and uh, we can throw you on there. and Absolutely. I'd love to pick your brain. I, I thought you were going to mention Scotland once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Who? Where's that? <laughs> Where's that exactly? All right, you're listening to uh, Soccer Talk of the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association. We're taking our first break. We'll be right back. This episode of Soccer Talk in the Park is sponsored by Outback RV. Discover the Outback at Outback Country RV, Sherwood Park's first RV dealer. Welcome back. <laughs> we are back. We are. Like, what do I usually say? And we're back. It feels, like we, it feels like we never left. It feels like we never left. It feels <laughs> like John Club is still in the room. <laughs> see, you, see you, John. Thank you. See you, John. Thanks. Thanks, Kira. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, yeah, fantastic having him in the room. Loved what he had to say about the whole grassroots uh, scenario and how things go grassroots-wise. I, I, I wanted to touch, because uh, in between breaks, we also talked a little bit with John in regards to the licensing part of uh, a part of coaching in, in soccer, and the lack of, I don't want to say it's a bad thing, because I mean, it, when, you, when you go to get licensing, you're, it's about the technical part, understanding the game, laws of the game, rules of the game, how to, how to train athletes to become better footballers. Um, but there is an aspect of socializing, of um, relationships. Building, building relationships, yeah. And uh, I just w- I want to touch and, and see what your thoughts are. Could that be something that maybe, uh, you know, the CSA develops? I mean, I know they have, you have that ethical, um, what's that called again? Decision-making? I mean, the, the, yeah. the ethical yep. decision-making that you have to take as part of a course. But it's, I mean, it, it, which is fantastic that you have to do it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't. Uh, I don't know if there's enough. Is there is there a program to teach somebody how to have a personality, <laughs> like like the social part of the game, like you know, getting people involved, not just understanding the methodology of of running a training session, the philosophy of what your club might be, but how do you connect with your players on on a deeper level? And we've talked this talked about this in uh, past podcasts about. Um, you know, identifying the players that you have coming into a training session, you know, did they have a bad day at school, whatever like that. Um, but is there a way that that could be brought into in a component of a licensing uh, aspect of, of the courses? So I think that it could be, mm-hmm. um, you know, building relationships, having a little charisma, learning to identify kind of hotspot moments. Because I, I guess it doesn't have to be a, a large portion of... You know the, the the course or whatever, but there should be an element within mm-hmm. each level you you get to because there's going to be different concerns. Mm-hmm. More of a psychology think. side of uh, of the game, right? Maybe they bring in a a sports psychologist. Well, I think it's interesting because I think for somewhat it's it's up it's left up to the individual, right, to have experiences and yeah, like you said, be their own person, be their have their own personality. It's like going into a job interview, and your resume says you know you went to Harvard and you've done this experience and this experience. You're gonna you're gonna knock the interview out of, out of the park. But once you get into that job, it's like well, what are your interpersonal relationships like? How do you deal with conflict? All that kind of stuff that comes to to light to say, oh okay, like still a great candidate, but you know they have other areas they need to work on. I think it's fair to th- to think that as a coach that that that's a big side of it for sure. Like yeah, you need to know the game 100. percent But I think connecting with your players like anything 
anything in life, connecting and building a bond and a relationship goes far past anything else. Because the moment you have that, they're in. They're connected. They're respecting you. You have their attention. Like they're they're hooked on you for the next ninety minutes, an hour, whatever it is, or or beyond that. I think I think relationships with are huge. And I think in a training session, you're not going to connect with every kid, right? Even if, if if this is your group, you might have a kid that's having a bad day. And then it's the it's just being very aware. I think of being self aware and being aware of your players to maybe put an arm around them after, see if everything's okay, let them be, and then see them next sessions and see if you can kind of get them back in. So. That's yeah. kind of my take on it. Yeah. What about you? I mean, you've coached at the higher levels and things, and you and you're working with university uh, players and college players at uh, at, a, at a different level. Do you find it's a little bit more um, less the social side of it, and more they're just they know what they're getting into, or and and then how does that relate to yourself as far as? Yeah. Well, to go back to what Dee's saying, like personality is something you can't really teach yeah true and there you you have it or you don't mm-hmm. i mean i I've, I've seen through the business world where a guy no personality but his work was unbelievable mm-hmm. but he wasn't getting the return clients yeah the guy whose work was mediocre or subpar but had the personality was exceeding and and expanding every year yeah and and, and i think this happens in sports as well but I think, like you said, like the higher levels, I think there's a bit more onus on the player to be uh, prof- more professional mm-hmm. in it. So I think at that level, personality, yeah, to a great extent is good because especially at the higher levels, the EPL and international levels, you're dealing with uh, egos. Yeah. And people who think have got the, the right to be there over everybody else. And so you have to sort of be able to man-manage each person on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, yeah, it has to be there. But again, some of the best managers in the world can be so successful, yet not get along with the players. Yeah. <laughs> so where, where do you see that balance yeah. in there? Yes, you've got to have some personality to deal with things like all through life. But again, some of the most successful people have none. Yeah, it's funny, and I guess the ones that are super successful at the higher levels are able to sort of balance both. Yeah. Um, like I, I just think of like a Pep, for example, mm-hmm. with Man City, and and before that with Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bayern. Uh, Bayern. Bayern. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just unbelievable with his ability, and he's you could see that he's got a personality, and. Uh, so why do you, why does he keep moving clubs to clubs though? I think just a challenge yeah, for himself, success. like maybe his own ego, right? Just but then Jose Mourinho, like successful coach, mm-hmm. but as long as he's ever been in one job, it's two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, he, and he's brought success to the club. but Short-term success. But his uh, personality uh, has gotten the better of him. Yeah. And he, he hasn't able to manage a lot of these players, successful players, uh-huh. so that they move him. But why does other clubs bring him in? I guess because of the past successes. Past of success, them. Yeah. but knowing this track record with the players, you'd think they'd actually sit down and think about that. Yeah. You know? Well, no, like I think it's a short term, right? He'll fix it in in the interim. Like, look at United; they won the European Cup under him, right? Or yeah. the UEFA Cup under him, right? Mm-hmm. Big achievement. That was great, especially when they were kind of transitioning. They were fifth and sixth yeah. to do that, and then look how they performed under him this year, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And taking it back to uh, the grassroots sort of ideal. I mean, that's where you seem to see a lot more personality within coaches because you have to be that much more animated with the younger. But th- that being said, I, I mean, as John was mentioning, uh, you know, grassroots goes all the way up 
pretty mm-hmm. well until you actually reach a professional status or mm-hmm. a status where it's more this is your job i guess i guess you could almost say college university level would be at a point now where you need to be thinking more along the lines that okay i'm actually getting something my scholarship's being paid for part of my school's being paid for by um, being involved with soccer so now i have to treat this more like a, a professional level so my whole demeanor, my whole social uh, thoughts have to change in regards to, or, or be a little more personalized to myself instead of putting it out there. But again, again, D-Dub, like I've seen coaches who try to get along with the players, try to be buddy-buddy with their players. The amount of level of respect that those guys get diminishes. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not, well, I'll get away with this, I'll get away with that. There has to be a certain line drawn there where they're, okay, we're managing them. Yeah. We're getting along with them. Especially there's the older age groups. Yeah, there's a bit of chemistry there. Yeah. But, yeah, when you get the older age groups, I don't think you can be like that. No, I, I would agree. I mean, it's the same thing. You, 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 for most of the pro teams I've been around, it's it's the head guy's been the hardcore guy, and then you have your assistants who can be a little bit more of a liaison between the two. Good cop, bad yeah. cop thing. Well, yeah. you, need, yeah. you, need a, you need a team of coaches. You can't, you can't have a split personality as, as a head coach. I mean, yeah, for sure you can be, you know, rewarding and nice and... and, and well, your decision-making is, is, is thrown off then. So yeah. you're saying yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And, but you need a team behind you. Like, you need um, assistant coaches or, or people that are, that are in there that kind of know their little bit of their role. So if you're, as a, if you're as a head coach and you need to get after your team, a little bit, you know that you can get after it, but you know that your assistant coach has the the opportunity to come in and be like, "Hey, listen, this is what is this is how we're going to be able to support this going forward." Just as the balance of support system, so exactly what Charles says, the a good cop, bad cop kind of vibe. You can't have two good cops on a team. You can't have two bad cops on a, on a team yeah. of, of a coaching staff because you're not you're not going to be able to get any success. Um, of, of developing not just the technical skills, but developing the player. So I, I feel that you know it's it's not just on one person or one head coach, but it, it takes lots of people to kind of understand and and have those roles uh, so they can get out and after those players. It takes a team, uh, team team support for sure. Um, and and you need and you need not just the players on your side, but you need to under, you need the whole entire parent group to understand the vision where you're going, the direction, and you need 100% that their their belief in what is is going to happen and their support all the way through, mm. and that's the only way that you can have a successful outfit of a team yeah. because you need people to be need to be buying into what you're dropping down. If people are not buying into what you're dropping down, it's going to make your job tough. Yeah. So okay. Well, then let's let's go one step further. How do you get that buy-in? How do you like? I mean, obviously you can do things, team meetings with parents and things mm-hmm. like that uh, are always possible. But is there another re- way of of getting the buy-in? Uh, honestly, I, I feel that it depends on what age group that you have, what goals that you want to set out. Um, it has to be directed at the beginning of the year. So if you let's say you've got an U11, U13, U15 age group, that's still a pivotal moment of, of development yeah, for, the, for, sure. for, for these kids and it, we always hear it all the time age and stage of development and everybody's going to de- develop it at different rates and different ages and there just needs to be a clear cut set up, clear cut and set out um, plan on how things are going to go for the year you don't have to necessarily promise make any promises but you're going to say we're going to go through this year 
as a group, and there's going to be different variables. You know, if you're going to come into a club program and you can only be committed 50% of the time, well, you can't be expected to have 100% or equal playing time to somebody who's committed 100% of the time. If you want to be a multi-sport athlete and, you know, we're we're supportive of multi-sport athletes, you have to understand that you're going to be missing out on things that are learned that other players that might be fully committed to are going to are are going to uh, achieve Mm -hmm. Um, if you are maybe not not happy with playing time well if you go back and set out the set out the the variables that that may affect playing time and of course success technical development tactical awareness whatever it may be Mm -hmm. in through the process it's that's set in stone at the beginning and you can I have the buy-in from the parents and you have a clear communication with the parents and, and the players. And I think it's very, very important that when you're having those meetings, the players are there in the room, the parents are there in the room, and it's clear and everything's laid on the line. If anybody has anything to, um, you know, if anybody in the parent group or whatever don't f- believe in it, mm-hmm. explain it more that this is the way that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so you don't get into those moments where you're three quarters down the season and then something blows up. Yeah. Uh, you it just has to be clear and throughout the year communication with players throughout yeah. the whole entire season I think, all the time. Uh, yeah, so, I, I, sorry go ahead. go ahead no 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 go, go I think communications is 100% key and the more you do it the better especially to get out in front of it um, but when you say you know those moments where you know it shouldn't blow up then then it won't I agree that's kind of the ideal phase but or the ideal idea of it but I don't think that's really the case because those players that maybe are away or aren't getting as much playing time, I still think as a parent, those concerns are still going to be raised and still going to come up. So I think, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so circling back to the licensing portion of things, could this be, because I don't recall in any of the courses I've ever been around where we discuss um, scenarios like you've just explained, D. Uh, or, or the challenge of how to make sure that when you're starting your year, starting your season, part of your seasonal plan should be that part of it where you explain your thoughts, your goals that you want to set for the year with your team, um, how to translate that to a parent group, to the athletes. Um, could that be a larger element? I, unless you guys have been and seen it well, and had my, that. My just quick comment on that. I don't know if it needs to be brought into the licensing because you have so much limited time with these people that are implementing the licensing program and it needs to be you know, a heavy workload of the game and tactical awareness and everything else, right? But this stuff could be done by provincial bodies and workshops and things like that and roundtable discussions of what other people have experienced and learn off of that way. That, that would be my take from it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, all of us Phoenix coaches or all of us community coaches that are out there get around a table and be like, bring up the ideas, some of the, some of the things that, um, uh, that are happening that are, are causing issues within groups and just sit, yeah, you sit down and, and you give out solutions or you give out a, a process of how to deal with, with things. And, you know, we have the 24 hour rule where, you know, that as a, as a, as a parent or you have to take that 24 hours after a game or after a training session to kind of have that little cool off period to think about uh, how you want to go at it uh, about approaching a coach or whatever like that but 
there's there's some some people don't know that some people think that it's okay just to um, after their their son or their daughter and they might not have they might have missed two training sessions in the week and then they only played 15 out of 16 minutes of the game they think that they might think it's okay to blow up at a coach right after the game it's not okay yeah you know because it's there needs to be that moment where you take that time you know you, you relax and I think every every team goes through it and I think every club goes through it yeah I remember my first days uh working with one of the, uh, with Simon Fraser University in, in BC and, and working with them and having a player come off the field right away, being an assistant there, they come straight to the assistant coach and, and ask you directly, well, why am I coming off? And it's, it, it's one of those things that you just, you just shouldn't ask a head coach or an assistant coach the time. If you're making a substitution, it could be tactical, you know, tactical for sure. It doesn't necessarily mean that... Uh, you know, it's it's because of poor play. In this case, when the first time I got asked about it, it was because they were playing poorly mm-hmm. in, in the role that we were asking of them. So, uh, and and it's tough because you're in tight in the game, and you don't want to really answer it, but you kind of have to. Uh, should we as coaches be a little bit more? Look, we'll talk afterwards, sort of thing, or should we just say you came off because you were crap? <laughs> you know, well, it has to be a bit it, of self-assessment as well. Yeah, on the sure. player. You know, that the onus can't always be on the coach. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think, like, I don't think there's a really a set structure or a set plan that we can, you know... Implement. Implant to players or into coaches, like, how to how to deal with certain situations or all the situations. Because you're getting so many teams and players yeah. coming from different economic, social, ethical backgrounds. Yeah. And, I mean, everything's different for everybody. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's a... Like, going back to the coaching courses, I don't think there is something you can do that. I think it just comes down to life experiences yeah. and how you're, as a person, are able to read what's going on yeah. and how you can adapt to it. So I think, yeah, having a bit of a personality within yourself uh, to get along with people goes a long way. Mm-hmm. But it has to be a point where, you know, I'm the head coach, this is the decision I make, and it's not based on... Uh, a relationship that we have is based on what's happening in the game and what we're seeing in practice. Yeah. So, yeah, we can get along. We can go have a drink afterwards, go have a coffee afterwards, do whatever. But when it comes to the games, it comes to practices, this is what I need from you, yeah. and this is what you're going to get from me. Yeah. And that's it, how we're going to work it. And, and I think that's that's the nature of the beast when you when you get into coaching. And, and there's food for thought. You can discuss this around a table uh, all night long and uh, come up with different ideas and, and different ways of sort of thinking about it for sure. We're going to take another break here. Uh, you're listening to Soccer Talk in the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association. And we'll be right back. This episode of Soccer Talk in the Park is sponsored by Outback RV. Discover the Outback at Outback Country RV, Sherwood Park's first RV dealer. And we're back. This is Soccer Talk in the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association. Lots of stuff we're chatting with, uh, chatting about this uh, this episode. We had uh, the grassroots. John Club was in earlier. Fantastic to have him in. Um, talking a little bit about licensing and the thoughts behind the social aspects of, of coaching and whether or not uh, that's something that can be uh, dipped into from a, a larger level in regards to the licensing. I, I you know, I don't think that was going to be end up being the case. Hey, we've just gone past um, the whole uh, mental health awareness uh, thing and the Bell Let's Talk um, sort of stuff. Uh, and so we're going to talk. 
We're going to talk a little bit about that. I know uh, in my own case, we've all, I mean, we were talking about that just sort of in between the break there about all of us, I'm, I'm sure, have gone through some element of uh, not necessarily full-on depression, but, but, but you know, questioning yourself and, and, and uh, you know, your state of being, your state of mind, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, yeah. It's just throwing it out there. I'm hey? just throwing it out there. I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, it's... Uh, no, it was a good conversation, I think, between the break and this, this past week. You know, we were chatting about Steph LeBay's um, segment on TSN, which was which was a really well-done segment, um, and talking about high-level athletes and what they experience. Um, and I think, yeah, just with some of the comments in the break, right? And Charles had mentioned that, like, everybody's mental state can be like an eggshell, right? can be very, very fragile. And... Uh, I think, you know... Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty well. You know, you're right. You, it's like you were saying, the, you know, small cracks become chips, become bigger cracks, yeah. you know. And I think part of it is like, well, you know, what? why can't we fix things or, you know, how did I know about this or whatnot if it's a friend or a family member? And I think part of it too is is the day and age that we're in, right? It's the classic that everybody's so well connected with social media and their phones and everything else, but then people have never been more lonely, right? That's kind of the common theme that I, I keep hearing now. So is that... People still need to have, um, you know, genuine relationships. I think to to get through that, to to lend themselves to be able to talk to somebody about it, right? Because well, they have more of a relationship with their phones than right. they do with right, especially at school or colleagues it, at work. Yeah, and if you weren't such a and you'd actually answer your phone, I could talk to you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did yeah. I actually say that? Yeah, D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's a little editing going to go on there. <laughs> I thought we were going to keep that in. No, no, no. I can't. Uh, I could I could probably edit it and go beep. Yeah. Well, we could try that. Well, let's see how it goes. <laughs> Darren does have a little uh, bit of equipment, which still hasn't been brought in, by the way. So. You a little beeper? We'll work towards that. Hmm? You have a little beeper? I, well, we can we can figure something out. I can I can see if I can't throw a beep in there. Could you carry it around with you during the, during the day and you know play it every time you swear? <laughs> That's, I'd be beeping an awful lot there. There you go. But uh, any thoughts on uh, your? Yeah, I I honestly think that there's like there's a big stigma around mental health for sure. I think that there's a lot of people that go through a lot of personal issues, but I think they're some of the best people to even hide those issues that they have. So you you know, they might come out and and it might take them, you know, fifteen minutes to get out of a car, but you don't know that. But when they get into a moment or they get to that that activity or even a training session or a game or or whatever it is that they're going on in their life, they can put on this little persona that everything's okay. And it's it's scary because you you know you have conversations with people and you really, really don't know what they're what they're going through. I know for sure um at the soccer academy right now we're dealing with with a with a kid that's kind of going through this he can't get out of his house um one of the biggest things for him is he was bullied at a, at, at a younger age yeah. and we brought he was brought into the soccer academy to kind of get this release and he you know he he fights a little bit of uh fights a little bit of being overweight and then you know online gaming and stuff like that there's been some challenges with some bullying online and you know this this poor little this poor little boy is such a great kid but he can't get himself out of the house um you know it's it's very very sad because we're talking about you know a junior high kid that's that's um 
loved being a part of the soccer academy. I'm not going to say that this kid was going to be the next professional soccer player, but I think there's very, very, there's more to it. So, you know, on our end of things, it's it's about trying to open that communication, trying to see if that, that there's any way that we can support, if, there, if there's any way that we can reach out and even to get him in for, you know, a session or two just to kind of break it. And, and there's a lot of education that needs to be done to, you know, even the kids. So, like, you know, I think some of the moments are like, you know, when somebody's missing for a long time where they and they can't get in, they came back and they come back for the first time. There needs to be almost like a seamless transition. Like there's no, like he's not even been away, you know. And yeah. and it's tough. It really, really is tough. And I, I'm wondering if I mean you, you mentioned it earlier, um, Charles, about the us being in love with our phones more than more than anything now. I, I, I'd really like to see. If there was some kind of a study on what it was like before these devices came in. Oh, yeah. Those how much, studies are everywhere, man. How much, you know, how, how many problems were there back then when you, that's your FaceTime with people and, and your ability to build relationships weren't based on a phone. I, I think that, yeah, you still would have had your conflicts, but I think they would have been resolved a lot faster. Well, you have to, yeah. you have to, you used to be able to just deal with your conflicts head on. Anybody can sit behind a phone or a computer and write a comment on, on, on somebody's post or, or whatever it is. And and the world is such a cruel, cruel place sometimes because not every single comment is going to be a positive comment. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. And it's it's terrible to say. And it's like, where as a parent or where as, as, as um, you know, maybe even a sports organization, where is, where is you know, our our outlook on having social media awareness or something uh, along the lines of, you know, we have a policy, but how are we going to implement it? And how is it, how is it going to be a learning curve for, you know, so some of our parents and our kids? I mean, it's, it's just, it's sickening to see what some people write on, on people's pages, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming back in the day too, I mean, there were still issues with people and I mean, it's up to, it's in your own mind and your own ability to, you know, but it's just not as far reaching back then as it is now because these things go worldwide now. Yeah, yeah. So you could, you could damage somebody's reputation just because you're vindictive mm-hmm. about it, and that this person's done absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah, they could just pick someone out of anywhere. It could be done. All of a sudden, some guy in the United States is oh, drumming, yeah. blah, blah blah blah, saying all this stuff about him, mm-hmm. and this goes on on the web. Yeah, and it's totally untrue. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, Dan was not. What the heck? Yeah. And he's yeah. having to deal with all this back home or whatever, and, and yeah, and people's health, mental health starts to go, and people start to get frustrated, and I think this is where artificial intelligence, technology has let us down yeah. is in these areas. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we can't totally blame it. The, the, the world is the world, and we, you know, technology keeps moving forward, and, and we have to move forward with it, but it's, it's, it's getting a, good ba- a better balance, I think, between, uh, you know, the, the use and the... And the, and the um, what, what's the what's the word I'm looking for that uh, it lends itself to being very helpful at times, but then not and very losing, hurtful, yeah. and, and not losing sight of the fact that you still have to have a relationship with the people around you and 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 have some discussions and talks and you know mm-hmm. friendships. Mm-hmm. It was uh, we're getting way off topic now, but the, there was a study that I read up on. Um, I'm trying to think of where it happened. It was in New York or something like that. There was a guy who did a study on older gentlemen, like guys that are like, you know, single guys that are in their later lives. And 
the the amount of or the lack of communication between friends. Like mm-hmm. you have, I have here a good social network. Do I hang out with anybody here? Mm-hmm. No. When I go home, I'm I'm on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you know they they talked about how your lifespan is lessened by not having those interactions, by not being able to phone up D and say, come on over and watch a game and we hang out for a little bit. Or Dan, oh, let's... Had you for a let, barbecue, man. Go. I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to live a little longer. It was a good barbecue. But what I'm saying is, is, is there's a, there is a social aspect right. of... of of that mm-hmm. communication. Were you invited, D? I wasn't invited. Uh, <laughs> I just gave him a little. I just gave him this. I just gave him the steak recipe, right and it was good. For, come on, it's, let's see. It's We're not trying to make light of this. It's for the St. Albert boys. For the St. Albert boys. He just moved in. You know, I was just being a friendly neighbor. All I'm saying. We're being ostracized now too. There's there's so much more that goes on to to the social aspect of things, and and us as people involved in football and soccer, we we really do. I guess so. We see an awful lot ourselves, but um, you know, it's how do we deal with it and try and try and you know help the kids out that need to get helped out and mm-hmm. and and in, in you know in the same thing. There's there's coaches that we see that are probably going through stuff that we're not aware of. We're not aware of. So you know, yeah. we watch a training session that may not be as great as it could have been. Um, maybe there's a reason behind it. Though. Yeah, I think you can connect it to anything in life. Like, I mean, we've generally just connect, uh, chatted about, you know, mental health. But I think the less of a stigma there is and the more awareness, right, you can connect it to younger kids or maybe colleagues or coaches or peers, right, and just, yeah, open up those avenues of communication. So, And the whole thought process of just let's talk is, is exactly what it should be instead of closing yourself off and, and, and feeling... Trying to trying to feel beat the demons on your own or whatever the case yeah, is, which which isn't necessarily easy to do, obviously. And mm-hmm. uh, the more ask you an alcoholic, can, huh? yeah, true enough. They try to take things on themselves, and yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. The conversation needs to keep happening. There's a lot of uh, you know awareness that's been brought up over the over the course of the week and this like that. But you, you, we need to keep this ongoing throughout. Yeah, it can't the, be a, yeah, a January can't be week a, or day. Yeah, it needs to be ongoing throughout the throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be able to. We have to be able to to reach out. Um, you know, we see so many, you know, homes that are, you know, split families. We see, you know, there's so many different things that are, you know, 20, 30 years ago you might not you might not see right. And yeah. and I just think that it's it's one thing if you're a coach out there, you know, you have to be you have to be cautious of how you're talking to to the, your kids, the the how you're delivering your message. Um, Making sure you understand what they're what's going on in their lives. Don't just put them into it a, uh, a one and a half hour part of your day and say, "Oh, I'm doing this three days a week." They're an hour and a half training session. You have to understand the player. You have to understand their background. You have to understand all these things because you could be that person that changes somebody's life. Yeah, for sure. And and, and the the more aware everybody is, the the better you're going to be off. I would think. What do you think? I think I think you're right. Okay. All right. I'm still fragile. Oh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll try and sort out the fragi- fragility. I got you back here, Charles. <laughs> chuckles there. Uh, uh, next episode. Hey, you know what? It's been a fun episode. We've been a little heavy on our uh, our topics, our topics and, discussion. And, and discussion, but they're they're topics and discussions that need to be had. So hopefully, you're out there uh, in particular with the let's talk scenario, and you're out there. 
talking and, and, and trying to help and support someone that may need that help. Um, so, and we're here for you. Give us a call. Yeah, we're, we're here for you at all. We're still waiting for somebody to answer the Blau Baron story, but <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I'm sure that'll happen and we'll actually have to come up with another contest here pretty quick. So people actually send in, even if you're in Texas, which I know someone out there in Texas was listening the other day, um, that'd be fantastic. So for, uh, Dano, Charles and D, thank you guys for being thank you. here. Thanks man. And, awesome. uh, yeah, from myself, D-Dub, we'll be, uh, chatting at you again. Again, real soon. You're listening to Soccer Talk in the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association. See you again soon. You've been listening to Soccer Talk in the Park, the official podcast of the Sherwood Park District Soccer Association.